Welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester, a somewhat erratic podcast brought to you by Cityco, the city centre management company for Manchester and Salford. I'm Vaughan Allen from Cityco, and today we're talking about the Northern Quarter. I'm here at the lovely West Corner in the Northern Quarter with Hayley Flynn, the writer and owner of Skyliner Blog. Hayley's been leading tour groups and writing about the history of the city for, what, five years, six years? Yeah, Even about more five now, years. probably. On the blog, in The Guardian, and in other places. Um, to start with you, Hayley, how did you get into tour guiding? How did you get into blogging? Uh, what, are your, what are your passions that drove you to this point? Um, the blogging came before the tour guiding, and it was just because there were a lot of things about the city that I was curious about that I was surprised at how difficult to, to find the answers it was. So I decided to find out a lot of those answers myself. So it was things like, um, what does that weird gargoyle mean on a building? Or the um, 79 Piccadilly, there's the little men on the roof. Um, and that was one of the first things that I researched and I really loved it. And then um, I guess tour guiding came about because I was being asked to talk at events and I'm terrified of public speaking. Um, so, so you challenged yourself. Yeah, so tours was a way to get around that. Um, and then I just really loved it, loved sharing my facts. So have you always been one of those people who, which I have to say I am too, of, of actually like sort of standing outside, staring up at buildings and, and looking around and, and wondering what on earth it, that is and who used to live there and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, um, I think I always have been, but I didn't realise it for a long time because my dad was kind of into that sort of stuff and I thought that I was just tagging along with him when I was a kid and not interested myself and then yeah I started to find myself in the same situations as my dad like looking through microfilm at the libraries to find out histories of buildings and thought oh yeah I this is my interest as well. And are you Mancunian by birth? Yeah I grew up in Wigan but um Greater Manchester. Greater Manchester yeah uh, but my family were all from Liverpool so I kind of felt that I wasn't Mancunian until I until I realised I was, which is a weird thing to say, but um, I felt a bit displaced for a while and then, yeah, found found that I was Mancunian and loved Manchester. But that experience of uh, Manchester and Liverpool, it has to be said, uh, of those great Victorian cities with, with the history and certainly the history written in the buildings, in the statues, in the art, uh, and continuing to thrive as well. It's not like they've been created from scratch in the last 20 years. Yeah, and it's not, even though I'm into the histories, it's not that I'm like only about heritage and anti-progress or anything like that like I love a lot of the new stuff that appears in the city and that's kind of why I got interested in the northern quarter because of how it's constantly evolving and kind of looking at the art in the area and how that's kind of spurring on community projects to keep the neighborhood thriving as well. Okay so let's talk about the northern quarter um Let's start with the, the really obvious. I mean, even 20 years ago, 25 years ago, it wasn't called the Northern Quarter, was it? So no. um, what was it as, a, as, as that part of the city? And then going back sort of to the heyday of Manchester, um, what was its function at that time? So it was just the Oldham Street, Stevenson Square area. And um, I mean, when the Arndale opened up, that's what kind of saw it all closed down really so it had been pet paradise it had been where you come to shop or not even shop to have a day out in the pet shops and look at dogs and cats and all sorts of things prior to that it had been um it still had a history with animals actually you could come and buy live tigers and parrots from the amazon but there was also when was that um i'm not too sure on the dates but there's a piece of art on tib street that's got old um archive bits of newspaper that's laid over some tiles and it's the adverts for live tigers and postcards about i bought a parrot from you and it's only got one eye um so it's, <laughs> and, and then you wonder about the goods and services act of those yeah, days is this, yeah. is this a, there's a whole joke there somebody might have once written about a one-eyed parrot and taking it back again i think there's actually uh, an old song about one of the 
pet shops on Tib Street that, or maybe it is a joke. I think it's about Mr. Smith's pet shop. It was quite cheesy, as I remember. But um, yeah, it, I think it was about the whole swapping what you've bought for something else and trying to upgrade your parrot to a whatever <laughs> a lion. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I think like there was also a bit of cotton industry as well here so there's lots of weavers cottages along Tib Street especially um, and you can still see quite a bit of evidence of that the, the weavers cottages are still there and there's there's a few interesting heritage aspects um, the shop fitters they've moved now but their basement was a fire um, air raid shelter and it still had I mean, the signs on up Thomas Street Edge Street Thomas Street but it's about to be demolished I think but when they used to have the service hatch open you could see all the signs saying no smoking air raid shelter and there's little doorways and tunnels that go under Tib Street as well yeah because the jeweller opposite on Thomas Street I think that was visited was it David Dimbleby David that, visited Dimbleby. that actually got there and it's the, going into that basement to see what Victorian housing was like uh, is something that every historian wants to do or have a look at yeah they, I've tried to get in there and um, they've sealed it up or oh, they told me they've sealed it up <laughs> yeah it's, it's interesting about the pets I didn't realize that the, the pet shops were were quite so prevalent um I've lived in the northern quarter for about 11 12 years um and when I first rented a flat in uh fish market mm. and the flat development in the fish market um the gentleman that showed me around uh who was the head of the estate agency said he always liked to come come down here because he could remember as a boy walking around and this was post-war I guess walking around and, and there's still being people selling monkeys and and having market stores out here so um though that we probably think of that as a Victorian thing and certainly pre-first world war there were echoes of it continuing up into the 50s and early 60s. I yeah, think. definitely. I get people on my tours who remember it from the 60s as well. And actually the markets themselves, I didn't mention that, but they're, they're a really important element of the Northern Quarter. And uh, there was reports in, I think it was an old Guardian article saying there were like 10,000 people in the Northern Quarter area just to come to the night market one Friday night. Like it was just the place to come. And especially at Christmas as well, the fish markets and around kind of approaching Victoria a bit more. That was a really vital centre of like markets for the, cent uh, for the city centre. So it was one of the places where people lived. Uh, a small um, number of people lived in the Weavers, Weavers Cottages, but yeah. mostly it was small businesses, small shops. Yeah, I think you can, you can look at a lot of the streets and you can see exactly what went on there so it might be a nice bar now but you can see the basement windows downstairs and get an idea that that was slum housing so yeah I think it was probably a similar mix to kind of what it is now small businesses independent businesses and then housing alongside so where would people come from to shop here because they're probably not going to be the same people who would go to shop in King Street for instance no I mean I was reading an old article about Oldham Street and that seemed to be um, quite a, a poor area of the city so in terms of kind of that animal history that would be uh, pigs roaming around on the streets that you could come and buy so I don't know if it was aimed more at kind of farmers or something originally but it it's hard to gauge the demographic of who came here and it has changed over time um but you know it's never been like middle class area until recently i suppose yeah and i suppose uh, we we also um though it's changing again now we 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 forget how closely populated ancoats and the areas around the sides of ancoats were again up till fairly recently yeah and um the northern quarters on the ward maps is classed as ancoats anyway i think so they're they're kind of a communal yeah, I think neighborhood. It's about to change, is yeah. it? Okay, but yeah, I find that quite interesting how it's classified, and I do wonder if that's what's kept chains out of the northern quarter. I'm not sure, but obviously, as Ancoats becomes more popular, and I think it just made the list of like 
hippest neighbourhoods in the world or something, that will also shine a spotlight even more on the northern quarter. Uh, and, you know, I think we're very much on, on the precipice of a lot of change at the moment. Which we'll talk about in a second. Yeah, I think Ancoats uh, is one of the three new northern quarters in the city that I'm aware of at, at the moment. Um, the, obviously, the issue is Great Ancoats Street, I guess. If, if, it would be, if that was more permeable, then probably the development that's been taking place gradually mm. uh, and has taken a leap forward since Rudy's Pizza set up um, it would probably have happened more naturally over the past 10-15 years. Yeah, somebody told me, I think it was just somebody who came along on a tour that there was plans for a bridge to go over the Ancoat Street and not because you can't cross it, just more of a visual connection and to show, you know, we, we are connected because it is really bizarre. I, I've noticed it in the, the poem that's in the pavement by Lem Sisse that goes all along Tib Street you can kind of use it to map out the human geography of the city. So if you get up to the big issue office, it's right by the door where the people come to, to pick up their magazines all day and they're going in and out. So that piece of the poem is really worn and there's grass growing in the cracks and there's like cigarette butts shoved in there, but it, it kind of looks good. I like it. Um, and then as you go further up, the next, the very next piece of that poem is at Great Anco Street and it's almost like the day it was laid, which was 97, 98, because nobody makes it that far along the road um and it's yeah it's a shame to have this invisible barrier like that okay let's talk about the northern quarter then as, as a brand how did the name come about um i, I believe that the sainted mr dave haslam was in, involved in that process and a number of other people as well there was a lot of people involved and actually if you speak to like liam Curtin and people who formed the northern quarter association they're a bit sketchy about exactly what happened as well because I think they were all at the time of their lives where they were perhaps going out and partying quite a lot. And so the conversations uh, were taking place in the pub rather than... In the pub and nothing was really documented. They do have some some bits of paper lying around somewhere. Um, but they originally... So this Northern Quarter Association was originally called the East Side Association and it was a board of artists and architects and people just interested in the community. And this was 90s, presumably? This was 92-ish. Well, Liam Curtin was employed by the council in 92 as an artist in residence and he went on to set up this board of people. So they came up with the name East Side Association um, and that was to do with some developments, I think, that were happening in that area that had also adopted that name. But then... Um, I think it was Tony Wilson who said that it wasn't East enough to be called that, so they just came up with the Northern Quarter. I don't know if that was just plucked out of the air. It kind of precedes a lot of the quarters that we're seeing now, though, I think it was. Yeah, at the time, I mean, looking at Northern Cities, you probably had the Cultural Quarter in Sheffield, which was created around Red Tape Studios, uh, and then didn't really exist for about another 20 years, and now is a cultural quarter and a, and a very good cultural quarter. You didn't, thinking of Leeds, you didn't actually have any quarters at all, and, it, and, it, and it's been a bit crowbarred onto the city. So it probably, though we now mock the idea of have, how many quarters can a city mm. have, um, it probably was one of the first, in, 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 certainly in Northern Cities, I would guess. Yeah, and, you know, it's really fascinating that the that it was kind of created so I think when people see an area that's full of street art and graffiti artists and things you think it's been autonomous but actually it was kind of engineered in a way because the council had wanted to do something with the fact that this area had just gone to rack and ruin because of the Arndale and people had moved into the Arndale or just couldn't compete with like global chains um, so they kind of steered it through Liam Curtin and this this group the association um, and an advisory board that included Ian Simpson um, and Tom Bloxham I believe and their job was really to create an arts trail along Tibb Street and through that trail improve the area and then everything that's followed has been in the in the kind of footsteps of that really it became 
the place to identify as a, an artist, which is also bizarre because nobody really has artist studios here. No, and they never really have either, no. have they? So, so that thing of, uh, I mean, I guess at the time that was happening, you had the early articles coming out of Richard Florida talking about art and how that could regenerate areas of mm. the city. Uh, and of course, Florida is now somewhat denying um, some of the things he said then, um, which I guess was part of the impetus. Um, but that that opposite side to it, it, you know, the idea of artists are the stormtroopers of gentrification. Yeah. Um, the gentrification has ha probably happened without the studios, actually. Yeah, it's really strange because you think like of Hume and the squats and the art that came out yeah. of that. And that's so different from the Northern Quarter and the, an arts trail and nice street art but nobody being resident here and, you know, not even living here for a long time. But then we do have all the studios around, like, the peripheries of the city. And, you know, people who come on my tours always ask me, like, oh, so, you know, where are the artist studios around here? Like, oh, they just kind of visit. <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting to find a location that actually isn't based around people living there either. So, so this group of people who, some of whom probably had bars I guess they, they were around at the time I don't know dry bar must have opened by so, then I guess yeah dry bar was here but the, that was it really when when Liam and was biggest, employed biggest office at the other end of Oldham Street yeah well. and Affleck's as well so that was really the three main things that spurred the council on I think to well Affleck's mainly to see that that DIY culture uh, is thriving and what could they do with it and actually the houses on the roof of the Arndale shopping centre the Cromford Court so they were social housing but this was a time when hardly anyone lived in the city, like no more than 800 people, I think. And some of the residents up there were Hacienda DJs. Um, so it, I don't know if that influenced that kind of creative community to want to be based here, but I, am, I imagine that it did. Um, there's lots of stories of parties up there with like members of ABC and very sketchy stories that no one wants to quite repeat the details of. <laughs> but it sounded a very interesting place to be in um, kind of the mid-80s onwards. So I think it definitely had an influence in the Northern Quarter. So um, a sort of decision is taken to develop a brand, which was fairly radical thing I guess uh, and certainly even in that time of uh, to develop a brand that wasn't associated with a particular with a new developer or a new landlord who's just saying I own this and this is what I'm going to build um, which is we've seen a lot of in northern cities obviously um, how did that then play out did that mean, mean that then people were being asked to come and open bars here and asked to ask to get retail here um, so the whole model for the Northern Quarter was Temple Bar in Dublin, but prior to it being the place where you'd go out and get drunk. Um, so the original plan was a lot a lot more artist facilities really than, than there are. And there were plans for a disability centre. I think it was a cinema and it had community space as well. And not all of that got picked up by the council at the time. They just kind of ran with the arts trail. And then as for attracting the businesses here, I don't know exactly how that played out, but you know, if you look at the fact that Dry Bar was here and at the time that was a big deal, and if you look at the kind of, um, the not, not traps, that's not the right word, but the way that they used the art to lure people in and what that art was saying. So the Tib Street Horn was talking about the music industry as if it was in that area, but it wasn't in that area apart from Dry Bar. And so it was very much like build it and they will come, I think. Um, so I don't, I don't actually know the process of how they attracted people here, but I imagine it was quite cheap rents as well at the time once, you know, trying to populate the it area. It seems to have been a very organic one. I mean, the, the, the only involvement really of the City Council was probably 
deliberately being hands off and trying to stop. I mean, you can't stop the chains coming in if they, they're going to rent it, but uh, trying to keep away those um, big fissures that would actually prevent the sort of culture that they were trying to develop. Yeah, and I think the council were actually quite hands-off in that they gave a lot of the responsibility to the Northern Quarter Association and their kind of advisory board as well. And even though the members of that association are still active in what happens in the city today, they've always wanted to encourage more community groups to um, kind of not protect the neighbourhood, but, you know, enable it to grow and thrive. So you have the groups like Grow NQ um, and there's the Northern Quarter Forum. And so that that kind of spirit lives on, that green space is being created by the people, the residents. Um, and it's not that the council don't care. I think they just see that it works, What's what the formula is here. And obviously, as people have then started living more and more in the city, uh, Northern Quarter has been one of the prime areas for that, and then increasingly across the road in, uh, in Ancoats as well, uh, where there's be hundreds, if not thousands, of flats going up. Um, so that, that population has changed. Um, I think, uh, how much has um, the sort of the internal dynamic and the feel of it changed over those, those 20 years? I mean, it became a place to come to drink, uh, maybe that's true, but it's probably less so than it was five or six years ago, where it was one of the one of the centres to do that. And, and we've got more food and beverage coming in rather than just pure beverage, I guess, more more coffee places. So how's it changed uh, in in terms of its feeling over the years? I think um, it's kind of morphed into like Instagram in real life. <laughs> so. All the new bars that are opening are really beautiful. You've got flock on the end and it's just really stunning to look at. And so I think it's more of kind of a visual, beautiful place. And you still have artists who come here to showcase their work, but I don't think even if there was a studio here now that they would take that up because they want to be on the edges of the city and this is becoming too, too popular, really. I just think about when I used to come here when Common was the original Common, uh, which people were outraged at the fact they'd made it beautiful. <laughs> when it was old Common, um, you know, you're just going in there in your trainers and your cardigan and straight from work or something. And now it feels like there's a lot more high heels and people who've actually put makeup on and made an effort. Uh, we're, we're interviewing Johnny from Common quite soon, so I shall put that to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's such a lovely space, but I think that was quite um, telling of the people in the area that the reaction to the fact that they'd made it so lovely was yeah kind of outrage at first like they've improved this place for you and I think people are uh, coming around to really loving it now and yeah the food and drink in the area is so much better than it was and it, it's a lovely place to be and it's still definitely a neighborhood. So let's talk about public art as I guess that's the core to what what developed uh, the northern quarter in the first place so the first things that went down were there's the horn there's the Lemesis poem um and that's always been a sort of the proactive okay this is this is a sign you're in the northern quarter you got you got nameplates and and uh, street nameplates that have a very particular design as well um so how much of that came from top-down council doing that and how much from artists just coming up with different ideas? So I think it was really Liam Curtin. So his studio's Majolica Works on Edge Street and he's still based up there. And I think really the the responsibility, if that's the right word, of the creation of the Northern Quarter was very much on him and the other members of the association, um, especially Wendy Jones and Liz Skrine, who are also in that studio. Um, I don't really know how much direction they got in terms of what art they had to produce. I don't really think anything. There was a lot more to the original Tib Street Trail that was 
definitely of a more temporary nature that was moved on so there used to be this kind of fountain made out of buckets outside the art and craft center and that was then moved to UMIST I think because it demonstrated some scientific principle that I don't know the name of the artesian screw yeah but it was quite by accident that it demonstrated that um so very northern quarter yeah but that was one of the pieces that Liam really held quite dear because it created a focal point in a kind of uh, kind of created a square for people to come and sit around and then that's I think that's the thing that's really been lacking um you know Stevenson Square does have seating now but it is private you know it belongs to bars so I think there's still that that kind of communal space lacking in the northern quarter but I think really it was just left to the northern quarter's own devices to come up with um art based around their themes so their themes were the pet paradise um the cotton industry and the markets and you mentioned the street signs the signs are meant to be the warp and weft of fabric so if it's uh, um, this might be the wrong way round but if it's blue tiles with white writing that street runs north to south and then the other way around white tiles with blue writing is east to west and I think this is one of the few places in the city where you can have that kind of grid pattern as well so it works quite well and then there's also been I guess a slightly more open view of, of street art in terms of graffiti and uh, of, of allowing it to happen and not and actually encouraging it I know it's got a bit corporate in the last few years that the corporates have come and sponsored some of the stuff beautiful as some of that is um, but it's definitely had that feeling of we don't need to cover this stuff up if, it, mm. if it's good we encourage it yeah I mean it all depends on the location doesn't it I think it's fair game around here because it's part of the fabric of the area and yeah there are some adverts but I don't really I don't know how the artists themselves feel about that but obviously the ones doing the adverts are getting paid to do what they love so I can't see how that's an issue um, I mean I guess you have to carefully choose what the adverts are so they have done there's Converse there's Doc Martin you know it's not like it's Starbucks and Costa so um, yeah it's strategic but I think if the future of what people expect from street art is large-scale paintings then it has to have some sponsorship because how do the artists themselves afford that if they're not getting paid especially and you know luckily the outhouse they get their materials provided from Fred Aldous to create the murals in Stevenson Square um, and hopefully that will continue because that's a lovely tradition now for the northern quarter yeah and i think uh, the, the way that that uh, work sort of documents what's happening both in manchester but in society more widely as well uh has has added something definitely you're always going to see something different if you only visit here every every couple of months which is which is pretty important as well we've always wanted that for manchester that actually whenever you visit there's something new and something exciting going on yeah um there was the new piece on one of the outhouse buildings the electricity substation that everyone thought was a banksy for a while and people were just messaging me all day the day it went up like can you confirm like I, no I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a Banksy expert and it was quite funny because the artist who did it um had left clues everywhere that said it looks like a Banksy but it isn't like you couldn't couldn't be more of a, a obvious clue but then people came and painted over that so quickly which is the nature of street art um that the kind of the clues were lost so it was uh, by John Doe that piece not by Banksy that's the piece that's still covered up isn't it um it's it's, still got plastic oh no so that's the piece 
so this piece is the one on the other side of the substation. Oh, okay. The okay. one on on the side under the plastic is still believed to be a yeah, Banksy. Yeah. You know, I remember when, the, when that was revealed, uh, and then there was a long conversation because, of course, what's actually happened is it's, it's covered with PVC, but condensation has got in, and you can't actually see the work a lot of the times. Well, there's a few issues, isn't there? Like street artists don't have want to have their work protected, and if you're going to protect his work, then protect everybody's Always. work. And if you're actually passionate about protecting it, another piece of perspex doesn't cost very much money. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. So um, now we're at the point where Northern Court has been around as a label for 20, 25 or so years. Um, obviously, there's always the debate around, um, has it over-gentrified? Is it very different from the original spirit? What are your thoughts on that? Um, oh, I kind of feel like, yes, it has been over-gentrified, but I don't think that, I think that's just the nature of everywhere these days so like when I mentioned about it all being like an Instagrammer's paradise I think that's just what people want so if that is what comes with gentrification that's kind of popular at the minute you know like hipsters aren't um kind of the underground anymore are they hipsters is just you're wearing nice fashionable clothes and yeah I think as much as I, it's not like I support gentrification but what's happened here works at the minute and as long as it something can like a, a seed of that art and DIY community can move on and progress to another part of the city then that's fine that's just the the pattern of a city and it does appear that that original spirit is moving out sort of into Ancoats and and then also I guess Chapel Street Chapel and Salford and a few other areas as well yeah um so I saw last week though that Lupo and Chapel Street um, are being forced to move out and it just seems such a shame because is that already somebody... They never had a tenancy agreement. Uh, it's okay. the story behind that. Uh, so they, okay. they've been there without actually an official tenancy agreement. Right. At that time. And I know, <laughs> having talked to uh, um, heads of property at Salford City Council who love the place and drink in it regularly, that there is a lot of work going on to try, actually try and find them a new venue very, very close to it. Yeah. The vision for Chapel Street is very much around... Um, food and drink and independence and actually what can we do that, that matches the stunningly beautiful buildings that are yeah. in that area and, and, and attracts more people to it. Yeah, it's amazing down there. It's just, it, for all the decayed and like burnt out pubs, you've then got these beautiful cathedrals and churches and fire stations and it's just amazing. And I, I often send people down there who come to visit, like just check out Chapel Street and but I never know how it's going to go down. Like, what, it's just boarded up pubs. Like, no, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keep going. I guess one of the, I mean, we were talking before we started recording, really, um, and uh, we've got a podcast up with Jonathan Schofield and some, some pieces he's done recently around uh, things that tourists say when they're coming into the city. What I'm quite interested in is, is when you're taking people around the northern quarter, which is... Um, I hate to use the word scuzzier, but it's, it's meant to have that more gritty vibe to it, even though those of us who live here will probably have seen quite a lot of change in the last four or five years. Um, are they more forgiving of some of those street issues in an area like this? Well, I guess so, because the nature of the tour is that we do look at a lot of the art in the northern quarter as well as talking about its history so people expect that to be a bit more run down I suppose the locations of those and I always warn them before we set off that we're not going to go down the pretty streets because as well as the northern quarter being yeah not scuzzier but whatever the word is we I then go down the back streets as well so it's the streets where businesses are putting out their rubbish to be collected and that can be left there for quite a long time um, and I do get a lot of not not really negative comments, but lots of uh, questions about, well, why is the litter here and why, are the, why is there a homeless issue? Um, but it's not really meant in a, 
a judgmental way. It's just people are curious about what is the infrastructure of the city and why is why isn't the litter being collected and I don't think that they judge the Northern Quarter negatively because of it. And, you know, it, there are worse places. <laughs> yeah, there are. I mean, it's inter- interesting thinking when, when you still see accounts of the Northern Quarter as uh, uh, Manchester's equivalent to Shoreditch, and then you just wonder whether people have actually been to Shoreditch recently to, uh, to see, you know, the, the million and a half pound flats rather than the 250,000 pound flats and actually how that has gone. and been almost, uh, particularly since Old Street has, has so developed around the tech sector, sector is about as shiny as you can possibly get as an area there that doesn't mm-hmm. seem to have any grit or dirt left whereas the northern quarter still i mean walk up oldham street and it really isn't that different to how it was 10 15 years ago it hasn't actually been that developed yeah i mean there's a lot of change coming on thomas street when the shop fitters row goes and um the fred dunn development where the tip street horn was so yeah there uh, there is going to be a lot more shiny stuff around here but it is a conservation area and also I take into account the fact that because we've got those kind of New York style fire escapes and we've got the iron curbs and we have the big warehouses, it's often used as a filming location as well. And that's got to serve to protect it somewhat because that's bringing money into the city as well. And there's people that I've taken around on tours that have been have stopped to take photographs of really lovely uh, signage and facades and I think do I tell them that that is for a tv show and that's not actually part of the northern quarter um but it's interesting to walk around here and see that you know Peaky Blinders was being filmed here last year and yeah it's kind of exciting to see that in the city yeah no absolutely and I think that is uh, said a few times on the podcast that um we can make an argument that uh, Manchester is the easternmost city of the United States in terms of its architecture and sort of the proto New York which I think is always one of the things that that's most lovely about it um i mean we talked about some of those new those new developments but there are still going to be areas i quote oldham street um that actually don't seem to be being affected at all still so what do we need to do to um get those to a even a decent state well i think the shame really on oldham street is like when uh, was it dobbins when that burnt down the old drapers when people started to try and uh, turn it into kind of like a pop-up park and take down their picnics then that was then fenced off really and it was a level car park and i just think in a city where lots of people want more green space maybe start to create some public spaces like that and then the more people come to the area then that might help to improve what's around it at the minute if you've got an independent business in a building that's kind of falling down a bit well do they want the building renovated at the expense of their rent going up and so it's in a bit of a stasis i suppose i don't know what the solution is to improve them without losing the kind of beauty of them but if you look at the castle hotel like that was such an amazing job i mean it's nothing like what the castle hotel used to be it, but it's really beautiful. It doesn't smell it? the same. No, I always seem to smell of lasagna when I went in there, but I don't think they ever served any. Um, yeah, so I don't think that the area needs to change dramatically at all. It just yeah needs some some love so that it doesn't fall down. I think one of the one of the good things about it, I mean, certainly from City Coast point of view, is, is we we have a lot of contacts with um, some of the landlords up, up here, um, and actually, the, they have a very long term view of the Northern Quarter. It's quite often be the third or fourth generation that um, what started off as 
uh, possibly textile manufacturing, has moved through. They, they've held on to buildings while they went through big, big dips. Mm. Um, and now you're seeing Gateway House and various other things, which are getting in international brands. Uh, and of course, coffee shops. I think there is a question of whether there can be any more coffee shops here. Um, but you're, you're start, you actually have got some landlords who really have that long-term view. Of course, you have others who who don't necessarily and, and that is good for the development of an area over a long longer term yeah um i know there's a few there's like dry bar is going to become a boutique hotel isn't it and i think maybe further along the street there was some workmen demolishing a building that said that that was going to be a hotel as well so it's just kind of managing that balance of like well how many boutique hotels can you have here and then still have fourth generation button makers or something <laughs> like yeah, we don't want to move out the people that are here. And that was an issue originally when the Northern Quarter Association was set up when they wanted to celebrate the markets. Because of the fish markets having um, flats in them, but it was closed off to the public, it was difficult to celebrate the heritage if you couldn't get in there. And I think also some of the market barrows by the Arndale were being closed down at the same time as setting up like a middle-class temporary market. And um, I think the Northern Quarter Association were very keen to quash that and keep the working class people in the area and because of things like the big issue office that that has continued yeah and i think we've i mean we had for a number of years we had the northern quarter fest quarter festivals that we were heavily involved with facilitating um one of the pressures always comes with that and the reasons that those festivals haven't happened for the last couple of years is as you have more residents within an area you get more complaints and it becomes very very difficult and it you know it's similar to the night and day situation um you know people move in next door and start making making issues that becomes incredibly diff difficult for say the council which may well support festivals and, and and clubs and so on but they have a statutory duty to enforce particular rules and, and laws and you get that constant clash i guess between the residents who move in because of the uh the wonderful atmosphere and whatever and then actually go well i don't like being kept up till two in the morning and that, there's always that friction isn't there yeah i've read something recently about um some family houses being built near Canal Street and that just seemed really insane to me like there is already a house there that always puzzles me it's just right in the middle of Canal Street with this little satellite dish and like you don't notice it because it's such an ordinary thing but in such a weird site and yeah it's, an, it's a nice place to be but it, it will be the same as night and day again if you have families living in a place where there's 24-hour nightclubs the clubs are going to have to change their hours because you can't move the families in and then evict them because they don't they don't like what's going on and it was a real issue with night and day we interviewed them um, for an article I did on my blog and they just seemed so sad about the situation like they didn't want to be upsetting residents upstairs but they didn't want to put their business on the line because of two residents and you know this business that's been there for decades so yeah you have to be really careful how you manage that mix of families and and people who want the city but want the city to adapt to them eventually. So um, looking ahead in sort of 10 years' time, where do you see the Northern Quarter then? Um, I mean, it will be in the same place. I don't mean where. <laughs> what will it look like? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not too sure if it will change very much from what it is now. I don't necessarily think that, you know, as much as I think it's kind of peaked really, I don't think it, that means that it will then decline. I think it will maintain the level of popularity, but it'll just be from maybe a different audience of people. And if we do kind of bridge that gap between the Northern Quarter and Ancoats, it's not necessarily that the Northern Quarter will move there, but it might just expand and become a larger neighbourhood. Because, I mean, Ancoats, it has its issues. I think it's such a wonderful place, but 
there's not much street life going on, whereas there's loads of street life here. So it'd be good for the two to kind of merge somehow and people spread out there and, and it not feels so much of a kind of desolate place at times of the day because you don't ever really feel that in the northern quarter. Um, but, you know, it's hard to say. I don't want to predict something and be totally wrong. Oh, that's the point of prediction, <laughs> isn't it? Um, I mean, it has. Well, I think one of the really nice things in the northern quarter, obviously, has been um, the greening of Stevenson Square, which obviously we see that as a, an area where people can sit out and, and it's designed to be... You, you talked about the lack of green space, which which is obviously always been an issue. Um, and even when you've got sort of meanwhile uh, parks that as the place continues to develop they're going to get built on sooner or later whereas Stevenson Square is a place that you can sit um, and I think trying to make the most of those spaces um, and possibly look at maybe pedestrianisation of a few of the streets where you can do that mm -hmm. as well Thomas Street particularly I think would be, would be really nice and that's I guess that's part of the future is, is actually how mm -hmm. do we have more relaxed street life rather than it just feeling like it's post nine o'clock in the evening yeah I mean and that place where um Liam had said that he'd installed the bucket fountain right outside the entrance to the Arts and Crafts Centre. seems like a natural public space to me and it's just not really utilised. So there are places that are already suitable for it. And then if you look at things like Grow NQ and A New Leaf, they kind of turned the upstairs of... Um, the Lever Street building, that I don't know the address, but they turned the rooftop into a temporary park. And yes, that's always going to move on. And it had issues because it was a private building, so it wasn't you know free access. But it's great to see that the beginnings of community groups trying to provide green space for the city. And it's difficult. I think when the uh, Tib Street home was demolished, people were quite sad to even lose that flat surface car park because it had trees in it and people were concerned about like well we don't like the car park but at least they've got some trees in there what's going to happen to those and that's like well that's quite sad isn't it that you're so concerned for a ugly car park going but yeah it's definitely improving and you do see flowers around here and there's clean up days that the northern quarter forum organized so it, it's lovely there's the sunflowers down on thomas street it's, as well it's one so. of the advantages of having more residents is yeah. they take more care as well yeah yeah Okay, thank you very much, Ellie. Where can people find out more about your work? Um, well, it would be on my website, which is theskyliner.org. However, I'm having issues with that at the moment. <laughs> but so, by the time we're out, so, yeah, in just two wait or three a few weeks. weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, just on my website. Okay, cool. Thank you to Haley and to West Corner for hosting us. And there'll be more history coming up, of course. Though the podcast will be produced only sporadically. That's a clueless reference for you 90s people as we move through a huge project at CityGo. Lots of plans for the future, though, and you can talk to us on Twitter at, at CottonmouthMCR or through email on podcasts at cityco.com. Cottonmouth Manchester is available on iTunes, TuneIn and SoundCloud or direct from the source at cityco.com podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>